Welcome to Work and Play, the podcast of Constanji Brooks, Smith & Profit. Here, we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson, and today I have my loyal co-host and partner, Sherry Silberman, with me for our 13th episode. Woohoo! Thank you. 13th episode. I'm going to, I get really excited about that. It's hard to believe 13 episode already. Right. And while some may consider the number 13 to be unlucky, I think that today's episode is just the opposite, Sherry, because today we are going to talk about how not to get sued. I see your point. Most people do consider being sued to be bad luck. I think it would ruin my day. Um, So my plan for today's show is to share a handful of very practical tips about things that employers can do to reduce the number of employment lawsuits they face. And I feel a disclaimer coming on. As well you should. We are obviously both fabulous employment lawyers, but we can't perform miracles And sadly, there's no way to insulate yourself or your company from any and all employee lawsuits. Bad things happen to good people and good companies. And in this day and age, lawsuits are just an unfortunate cost of doing business. It's true. Yeah, I agree. You know, we give our clients a lot of advice about good policies and practices that help reduce the risk of litigation. But We just can't totally prevent or eliminate the risk altogether because, unfortunately, my magic wand isn't working right now. (laughs) I could cheerfully segue into a discussion about Harry Potter, dystopian fantasy novels, but maybe the podcast is is not the best place for that. We'll we'll do it another time. Yeah, maybe we'll do it another time. Okay, cool. I'll make a note to do that. Oh, okay. Um, Are you ready for our first pro tip? Yes, and our fake studio audience is ready for it as well. Fabulous. Tip number one, avoid pointless rules. Ah, you're not talking about practical and useful stuff like a thoughtfully prepared employee handbook or a drug-free workplace policy. You're talking about stuff that doesn't serve a real purpose. Correct. Have you ever seen Office Space? You know that whole bit in the movie about, did you see the new memo about the TPS report and how we're now going to put cover sheets on the TPS reports? Okay. Don't even get me started. I think I use examples from Office Space more times than not when I do management training. (laughs) You got the red stapler and the scene where she's scolded for not wearing enough flair. There's just so much good stuff in there. So yeah, you got my attention. Carry on. All right. Well, with tip number one, I am suggesting that silly, pointless rules irritate people. If you are going to require extensive documentation that must be submitted to five people when your employee needs to use two of the eight hours that is provided to him by state law to go to his kid's parent-teacher conference, you're probably taking it a bit too far. Just let the man tell the boss he needs to leave early for the parent-teacher conference with sufficient time in advance. I will tell you, I have literally never seen a situation where someone abused school visitation leave. I think that's a good call. 
All right. I have another for you. All right. What is it? Don't make employment decisions when you're angry. Oh, I like that one. I also think it applies to parenting as well. Um, But, you know, no matter what your employee or your child has done, you can almost always suspend him or her for a day or two while you maybe regain your composure and talk to the witnesses or to the employee supervisor. Right. Taking a step back allows you to more objectively determine whether termination is the right choice under the circumstances. It provides time to consider your approach, like whether or not termination is consistent with your written policies and also conduct any needed research and think about if you should allow the employee to resign or whether you should offer the employee severance pay, all sorts of different things. Right. Use the time to confirm whether or not um, the decision you're making is consistent with the way you have treated, quote unquote, similarly situated employees in the past. After a little cool down time and reflection, you may realize that there is a better or more consistent course of action. Definitely. Anytime that you take a moment to consider whether you're acting consistently and in accordance with your policies, you're almost certainly going to be reducing your liability exposure. Right. And when in doubt, make that quick call to your favorite employment lawyer. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a client tell me that they think calling me was a waste of time before they were making a decision to terminate someone. Well, we do have very polite clients. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on to tip number three. <sighs> Woo! All right. Hit me with it. Here it is. Do not fall behind on your essential policy updates and training. Great call. And there are a couple of reasons for that, right? One is that employment law is a really fluid area. And if you're still using the same handbook that you drafted 10 years ago, chances are it's quite out of date. Correct. And while that's true at a federal level, it is even more the case for state laws and local ordinances, particularly in some areas of the country, and especially if you are a multi-state or national employer. But there are other reasons for it too. I have I've confessed before that regular training for employees and management is one of my favorite soapboxes. That's because you can have an absolutely amazing handbook that, well, it won't do you as much good as it might if no one knows about it and no one follows it. On one level, it sounds really simple, right? In order to handle employee questions and complaints, you need updated lawful policies. And just as importantly, your employees and managers need to understand and be trained on those policies. It is deceptively simple. But HR friends, we see you. We know that there are always other fires to be put out at any given time. Um, I know that many of you work in industries with historically high turnover, like retail or, or service industries. And I know that 2020 to date has been... Hard to find a word, right? What do you say? Hard to find a word. Dumpster fire comes to mind. Um, And all of that is to say, I know that getting everyone trained is challenging, but I encourage you to keep fighting that good fight. Yeah. And as to training, you'd probably agree that essential topics would include harassment, discrimination, 
and safety, you know, also depends on the industry, but there's several others that are important. And as for harassment, you know, in some situations, the mere fact that you conducted training where everyone was told that harassment's prohibited and given information on how to report issues, that may give you a defense in a lawsuit. I totally agree. And training can also have the benefit of prompting people to come forward and make complaints that then you as the company can investigate and handle appropriately. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Does it make you cringe when you see a personnel file where the only training conducted was 18 years ago when the employee was onboarded? (laughs) That is quite the leading question, counsel. Um, Obviously, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And because I am super picky and I like to set unreasonable expectations, I'd also like to see something in the file related to the fact that the individual has been promoted, is now a manager, and, and thus reflects training regarding her new responsibilities in that management role. Right. And seriously, this is definitely something that will help you reduce the number of employee lawsuits. All right. Is it my turn? Your turn. Tip number four. Wait for it. Wait for it. (laughs) Okay. Don't ignore known problems or problem employees. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this one. Yeah. In fairness, I think we've said it before. You should take all employee complaints seriously. Even a stopped clock is right twice a day. And the fact that Albert has made six complaints in the past six months does not necessarily mean that his latest complaint is unfounded. Right. And if you receive a complaint, you should investigate it in accordance with your previously mentioned policies, right? And thoroughly document the process because we here at CNG, we love consistency and documentation. Right. And if you determine that some misconduct has happened, take prompt remedial action, even if the erring employee is valuable to your company, or he has been with the company for 45 years, or she's a C-suite executive. It's entirely hard. And those decisions are hard ones, but sometimes it's the right decision to make is to eliminate someone in that position. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, it's entirely possible an employee could be wrongly accused several times, too, particularly if that person is unpopular for some reason. But you might want to take um, some time to pay particular attention if you receive numerous complaints from a range of different employees regarding that same problematic behavior of that one particular person. Brilliant and very logical. I concede it sounds pretty basic and intuitive, but it's easy to deviate from best practices in these scenarios, even when you know what you're supposed to do. Okay, what's next? My next tip is also quite logical. You're full of these today. Go ahead. All right, here it is. Don't mess with people's paychecks. That is very down to earth. I know. Most employer mistakes about pay are honest ones, but people get very upset when they're not paid correctly, and understandably so. And this is a particularly important point because there are so many different ways 
to mess with an employee's pay, like asking employees to work off the clock, misclassifying them as exempt, misclassifying them as independent contractors, miscalculating overtime, or mm, even placing too much trust in your payroll vendor. All of which employers, you know, can, you know, be terrified about because of the class or collective action. Uh, That is a terrifying beast. Um, If you have one employee who says they weren't paid for an hour that they worked each week for the past two to three years, that's not good. However, if you have a whole group of employees who say that they all haven't been paid for an hour that they each worked every week for the past two or three years, then that's the type of thing that can put a, a serious dent in a company's operations. Yeah, absolutely. These can be devastating, especially where it's a seemingly small error that blows up because of the size of the group or size of the company. Class or collective actions are certainly something that employers want to avoid. Well, and for our final tip, I thought we could revisit something that we've mentioned in other episodes. Yes. 80s music? Memes? (laughs) No? Rank co-workers? (laughs) <laughs> no, well, <stop. laughs> we have covered all those, but I was going to uh, talk about emailing like you're going to be asked questions about it under oath. Ah, all right. That one, that one's good too. I, that's actually valuable information. Not as fun as 80s music, but yeah, let you should share. Go ahead. <laughs> well, speaking of which, did you check to see if anyone wrote a review asking you to sing on the podcast yet? You know, I did. And you and I both personally know the person who asked me to sing. So I'm disqualifying her. But, you know, maybe the offer will remain open to other people. We'll see. Um, Okay. Back to our final tip. In today's digital age, many of us send hundreds of emails per day without giving much thought as to how an email might be interpreted or who might see it. If you're angry about a new project at work, please don't text a colleague on the company's phone to vent that this old man is off his rocker. Since he won't give it up and retire, we need to get rid of him. Hashtag okay boomer. Ouch. And if you're asked about whether an employee is entitled to leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act, please don't respond with, I know it's not what you want to hear, but yep, we have to give him leave. Or, I wish I had a disability so that I could get three months of vacation, too. Ask me how I know. Ah, ouch. Yeah, that probably didn't end well. Um, But I will say, this is good advice. Following this rule, you know, even though it's not necessarily going to prevent litigation, it will be helpful if you follow the advice and you will thank us for it if you do end up getting sued. Absolutely. You may think of your email, your instant messages, or your text messages as private, but they are likely to come out in litigation and be read or seen at your deposition or in front of a jury. Um, So in short, as I've said before, if you would be embarrassed to have your message, email, or tweet read in front of your boss and your grandma, do not send it electronically. Pick up your phone and call your lawyer if you need to vent. We're here for you. We like hearing all these crazy stories. 
That's true. I don't know that we're cheaper than a licensed therapist, but hey, we got your back. Um, Okay, since having every employee sign a contract on their very first day of working, promising not to sue the company is not an option. And just to be clear, no, you cannot do that as much as you would like to. There is no way to totally prevent a lawsuit or completely prevent someone from making a claim. But following these simple, non-legalese, logical tips will really help you reduce the number of issues that come up. And it will also help identify issues so that you can address them before they turn into a lawsuit. And isn't that really the goal? Employees are going to have questions. Accidents are going to happen. Mistakes will be made. I truly wish that perfection were achievable, but it's not. So instead, it's all about how you respond to these things when they happen. Exactly. So Susan, I know we typically try to end with something lighthearted, like a ripped from the headline story or an example from a case that one of us has handled. But as you and I talked about before the show, we both felt like we needed to say something about what's happening in our country right now. Yes. I'm I'm going to quote from something that Neil Wasser, the chair of Constangi, sent out to everyone in the firm recently. He said that our firm has several principles and values we hold dear. Certainly the quality of our work, the zealous and ethical advocacy for our clients, and the insistence that we treat one another with respect. One of the bedrock values that makes our firm unique is the value we place on diversity and on respecting, understanding, and appreciating one another's differences. And then he went on to encourage everyone in the firm to put our grief and our outrage regarding George Floyd and others to good use to have hard conversations and to do what we can to affect positive change. Absolutely. I know that there are a lot of meaningful and impactful conversations going on right now, and we can't forget to continue these efforts even when the protests quiet down and the headlines start to shift to other topics. Agreed. Thank you for joining me today, Sherry. My pleasure. Before we sign off, I want to make my typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be great if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave us a written review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us or so you can ask Sherry to sing. Many of you have done that, and we thank you for that. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode.